Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. This is the podcast where I get to take a minute and talk about what I have been reading lately. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared, as always, for spoilers. I'm so excited to talk about this book, and this episode may be entirely incoherent because this book is so weird, but I had such a good time reading it. Let's get started. Today we are talking about Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. Nine Fox Gambit was published in 2016. It has 319 pages and I read it in December of 2020. Our author, Yoon Ha Lee, was born in 1979. He got a BA and an MA in math, bless his heart. Nine Fox Gambit won the Locus Award for Best First Novel and was also a finalist for the Hugo, Nebula, and Clark Awards. Here is the summary. Captain Kel Cheris of the Hexarchet is disgraced for using unconventional methods in a battle against heretics. Kel Command gives her the opportunity to redeem herself by retaking the Fortress of Scattered Needles, a star fortress that has recently been captured by heretics. Cheris's career isn't the only thing at stake. If the fortress falls, the Hexarchate itself might be next. Cheris's best hope is to ally with the undead tactician Shuos Jadao. The good news is that Jadao has never lost a battle, and he may be the only one who can figure out how to successfully besiege the fortress. The bad news is that Jadao went mad in his first life and massacred two armies, one of them his own. As the siege wears on, Cheris must decide how far she can trust Jadao, because she might be his next victim. We begin with the weirdest world I have encountered in a book over the last year. I started off thinking of this one as a sci-fi book, and it kind of is. It's in space. And there's a lot of technology, and to me, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I actually listened to an interview with Lee, and he describes it as magic, as like a magic system instead of a technology system. The Hexarchate exists as like a consensus reality. Basically, their technology works because they believe it works. I love this. I love this angle in books. It's in American Gods, it's in Discworld. Belief is a powerful tool. The technology slash belief system in Nine Fox Gambit is based on a shared calendar. By making sure each planet in their system follows the same calendar, celebrates the same holidays the same ways, their technology works and is able to produce amazing results. They can use shields for their spaceships or their soldiers, but the most important thing this shared calendar does is power their spaceships, giving them the ability to travel through space. The calendar system is enforced by the ruling factions of the Hexarchate. Hexarchate? I'm sorry if I changed the pronunciation halfway through. Books love to build factions that represent one or two aspects for example, Harry Potter and the Hogwarts Houses, 
and each faction of the Hexarchate is known for particular things. The Kel are the military. They're stupidly loyal and suicidally dedicated to their missions. The Shuos are responsible for strategy and intelligence operations, but are characterized mostly as assassins. The Nirai are the technical faction, the doctors, engineers, and mathematicians. And so on. There's six factions. That's why it's a hexarchate instead of a heptarchic. Oh, that's difficult to say. So we begin with Kel Cheris. Cheris, who belongs to the Kel faction, therefore the military. Therefore, we can assume she is loyal and not expected to think outside the box. Cheris, however, has a skill unique amongst the Kel. She is incredibly good at math. Can you tell this book was written by someone with degrees in maths? She's so good that several times people ask her why she chose to become a Kel instead of a Narai. Cheris, at the beginning, is with her soldiers and they are fighting their way to put down a calendrical heresy. And immediately, we are made aware of how fragile this calendar system is. Any heresy, which is when enough people stop following the shared calendar, is enough to destabilize the system. Heresies are put down with extreme prejudice, but there always seems to be another one cropping up somewhere else. It's almost like people don't like being told how to live their lives or something. So Cheris and her soldiers put down this heresy at great risk and cost of life. With her unique set of math skills, she's able to change their battle formations, their maneuvers on the fly, such that they can combat the heretical attacks coming their way. Her new maneuvers, however, tread dangerously close to being heresies themselves, but they keep most of her soldiers alive and win the day. Their mission complete, the Kel return to their Void Moth, their spaceship. There are Cinder Moths, Void Moths, Banner Moths, more moths. Did the Hexarchate decide that giant spacefaring moths were the best way to travel? Yes! Yes, they did! I told you this book was weird. Cheris is expecting to be executed for her near heretical maneuvers. Her soldiers are taken to be reindoctrinated. Even though they completed their mission successfully, heresy is still heresy. Instead, Cheris is tapped for a mission. Heresy, their ever-present threat, has arrived at a central nexus, one of the space stations responsible for keeping the calendar system stable and in place. If the heresy continues unabated, it could completely unravel the calendar and also the hexarchate. It's treated initially like a war game, just a practice scenario, but Cheris knows how serious it is. She also knows that there's almost nothing she could suggest that the other participants hadn't already considered. She's just a Kel lieutenant. She's normally on the ground, not fighting space wars. But there is one suggestion she can make. It's her only available play. Use Shuos Jadao. Two participants of the war game quit on the spot, refusing to be part of any scenario involving Jadao. Well then, we definitely want to know who that guy is. Jadao was a brilliant, 
general. 400 years ago, he never lost a battle once. The Kel keep his mind in suspended animation and only bring him back in dire circumstances. Even undead, he's never lost a battle. Why, pray tell, do they not keep this guy awake all the time? I'll tell you, it's because in his last battle as a living, breathing person, he ordered his soldiers into a slaughter and killed a million people, his soldiers and the heretics they were fighting. Then he took his sidearm and methodically shot his entire bridge crew, and all of this for no discernible reason. So he went a little insane, but he's still the best, even after 400 years and being a ghost. Despite the inherent dangers, Cheris's plan is approved. She wakes later to find that Jadao's spirit has been grafted onto her. She has a new shadow and sees his reflection in the mirror and can hear his voice in her ear. She is warned that she may have to destroy him and herself if he starts to try to turn her or escape somehow. They give her an instruction manual for having a dead insane general in her head. Because they've done this before. This is so wild. Every page I was wondering what was going to happen next. I could guess, like, the general direction, but the specifics I had no idea. It was so good. Cheris also has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. There are so many different power plays involved in the Hexarchate, and she's focused on the battle ahead, taking back the central nexus. That is what she is trained and programmed for as a Kel. She and her new shadow-slash-reflection Jadal step into command of a fleet and head for their battleground. She has never had a command position like this before. She's normally in the field with her troops. And there's the added bonus of having a madman talking in her head, and this whole new level of political intrigue to struggle through. She's a little out of her depth, but she has to go on. With Jadao's voice in her head, Cheris and her army break into the Nexus, a place previously considered impenetrable. Cheris, as I said before, is good with math, getting numbers and formations to do what she needs, no matter how heretical. Jadao is good with people, seeing their intentions and weaknesses and manipulating them. Their skills combined make them a powerful force to contend with, but also an unstable one. As they continue the gradual assault and siege on the Nexus, Cheris can't help picking at the mystery of Jadao and his final, fatal, suicidal battle, the one that drove him insane. He insists he doesn't remember his reasons, but Cheris can tell he's hiding things from her. In Jadao's turn, he picks at Cheris. She's unusual for a Kel, and he's curious. Her incredible math skills, for one thing, and her willingness to tread near heresy in order to save her soldiers. They agree on a lot, actually, but that's concerning for Cheris. It's dangerous to agree with the undead general who went mad. Together, they accomplish the impossible, retaking the Nexus and squashing the heretical rebellion. 
They face opposition not only from the heretics, but also from Cheris's underlings who don't trust her or Jadao. And what I have said in these last two sentences is really the heart of this book, the war the Hexarchate wages on those it deems heretics and the lengths they'll go to preserve their system, and Cheris gradually coming to the understanding that this system is horrible and flawed. And this is a long, bloody struggle. The losses on both sides are staggering. Even though our point of view is mostly with Cheris, who is by necessity observing the battle from afar, interspersed are moments from the battlefront where we get a human personal perspective. We follow a few soldiers as they struggle through this nearly impossible fight. And no matter their hopes and dreams or individual traits, I think every single one of them we follow dies. It's easy for commanders to look out at a field and just see numbers. And I think Lee did a really good job putting in these individual moments that are from the battlefront. So you don't forget that these are people that are getting sent to their deaths over and over. In the end, the Hexarchate turns on Cheris once she has won the fight for them. They destroy her entire fleet, all of her soldiers, just for a chance to kill her and Jadao. But she's actually the only survivor. One thing Jadao's shadow offered her was a first line of defense. He was like her own personal calendrical shield. Standing in the shattered remains of her space-faring moth ship, faced with the atrocities she committed for the Hexarchate, and the fact that to them she's just a tool and her soldiers were disposable, she chooses to do what the Hexarchate was afraid of in the first place. She merges with Jadao, using the information they gave her in that how-to-deal-with-a-dead-general-in-your-head manual. He's been outside her mind, but now she absorbs him, and with him, his memories. And with his memories, she finally gets the answers she was looking for. What happened to Jadao and why he was the way he was? It turns out he has been trying to destroy this calendrical system and the Hexarchate with it this whole time. He wasn't insane at his final battle. He was cold and calculating. He needed to give the Hexarchate a reason to keep him alive, to give him immortality of a kind. He knows he will need a very long time to dismantle the Hexarchate and its systems. And his plan worked, mostly. This is a general who has never lost. And now... With his memories and the fresh betrayal of the Hexarchate in her mind, Cheris is set to continue his work. All that Jadao needed was time and a mathematician, and the Hexarchate handed him both. My final word on Nine Fox Gambit. There's so much more to this book. Cheris's connection with her soldiers and the servitors who are little sentient robots. The discussions she and Jadao have about war and people and games and the Hexarchate and how often Jadao gets teased about geese. I liked it a lot. I'm really looking forward to reading the rest of this series. If you want more media like this, you can try The Expanse books by James S.A. Corey. 
The first book is called Leviathan Wakes. And that's everything. Join me next time to hear about Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.